0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Live from the Videotech, the FACETS podcast. FACETS is a film organization in Chicago, Illinois. We have a movie theater showing first-run, independent, international, amazing films every night of the year.
1: We also have a video store that has over 10,000 titles. Uh,
0: 50,000.
1: 50,000. Yeah. That's five times the amount I Mm -hmm. said.
0: Yeah. That's where we are right now. We're talking about movies. That's what we do here. If you'd like to talk with us in person, come visit us at 1517 West Fullerton Avenue. Chicago, Illinois. My name's Matt. My name's Sam. Yes, you may have heard an earlier podcast we did on the Annihilation film. Yep. Which was a literary adaptation. Yep. An adaptation of a book.
1: Alex Garland's literary adaptation.
0: And it was very interesting that he uh, didn't reread the book or didn't use it as a reference while he was writing the story. He screenplay. wrote it
1: strictly from memory, from his first
0: read, and he didn't reread it all, yeah. And, and we got to talking a little bit about the nature of film adaptations. I find them very uh, problematic. I think it's inherently problematic to try to adapt a book to film. We you, touched on that a little.
1: You've been on record, I think, by saying that the Harry Potter films should not have existed.
0: Uh, that you don't think that you don't think film adaptation should happen at all that that was my extreme stance i <laughs> i've uh that's not true i okay. don't think they should be illegal but i did <laughs> want to do a little follow-up where we kind of talk more about it um, all right let me let me lay it out here uh, so there the the film experience and the reading the experience of reading literature are two very different experiences and you know, when, we, when you adapt a film to a book, you kind of are acting like they're the same experience, and they're not at all. Uh, you know, Literature happens entirely in the imagination, 100%. That's its beauty and power. Film does a lot of the imagining for you, and that's its beauty and power. You, your imagination gets taken on a ride. It's like, here, let me imagine this for you. And that's, that's amazing. Um, but in literature, you're doing that entirely yourself. So, if you've already done that with a book and imagine a certain set of characters in a certain s- story, your imagination of it contaminates the film experience, and vice versa. Uh, if you've I think less so when you see the film first, but then you're, you're getting the story contaminated. It's like spoilers, spoilers are done for you. You know, you, you don't get to experience that story genuinely. Yeah. Because it's been contaminated by the film that you've already seen of that same book. So, you know, I think this is really problematic and almost unresolvable, really. And, you know, we can talk about examples from over the years. I mean, people always talk about The Godfather. What about The Godfather? Yes. You know, that's based on a book. Luckily, it's a book that hardly anyone read or knew about, I think, <laughs> until the film. You know, I think the film's so much more famous.
1: It, it definitely has a wider audience. and People remember the film... And people probably remember the book because of the film, actually. Right. Because it was such a successful.
0: Act. Yeah, and I've heard oh. it's not necessarily great literature. I've heard it's a good book. Yeah. You know, a good read. Yeah. But not necessarily great literature. So, you know, there, there's, I think there's other examples that I don't have where a a decent book or a pot, you know, like a pot boiler as they used to call them, uh, just kind of a, a quick trashy read can get yeah. can get elevated into an amazing film. You know,
1: the, I I think I know what you mean by popular, but like, could you? Is it just like uh, a book you read over the over your, <laughs> when you're cooking? Or I have that... no
0: idea where that term comes. from. Like. <laughs> I, I think it's like suspense or something. Okay. It refers to the fact that it builds and builds and then boils over. Oh, I thought it was
1: like literally a book that you can read while you're doing other things.
0: That could be. It's okay. it's such a quick and easy read. Yeah, that, yeah. Whatever the case. You, Audience, please look that up for yourselves. Yes, please. I'm not going to Google it right now. You have to do some of the work. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, so that that's one example when it's kind of a lesser work of literature that gets adapted into uh, an amazing film. Yeah. Another example is when it's such an incredibly great, boundless, vast work of literature um, that the film can go in a different direction. Um, or the film can just kind of hit the... Plot beats without. You're talking
1: about the dictionary.
0: Well, I'm talking about Moby Dick, actually. Oh, oh, by, oh yeah. By Herman Melville. Uh, the film version by John Houston, which is late 50s, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. And it it's just a really solid adventure yarn, really, which <laughs> Moby Dick is. And the beauty of the book is that it's on one level of good little adventure yarn.
1: But it's also, there's a lot more in the book than just that. Like, it's a. I have a copy of the book. And yeah. It's looking at me every day when I go to bed.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, he'll go on like a 40-page tangent about the type of rope used in whaling vessels, you know, and obviously that doesn't even need to be in the film, and the film doesn't suffer because that is not in the film. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just found that to just be a really good uh, yarn, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and almost like the abridged young adult version of this vast book, you know. But then i You have to talk about superhero movies here, I think yeah, because that's to me, is the ultimate example of of a film experience that simply can never really live up to your imagination, that's uh, true. even comic books that give you images, so much is done in the imagination still, like the idea of how these heroes actually move and mm-hmm. look like a costume that looks amazing in a comic book looks dorky on film
1: it, it, it is a hard translation and i've but like i think the ones that do the best are when they don't try to rechange change or try to adapt into something more modern like captain america's costume in the avengers is like one of the most straight out from the pages or thor like anything that's straight from the pages that is quickly adapted always looks better than like nolan-esque stuff like it's yeah. adapted to like modernize They're trying
0: like, to modernize and, and weapon, try to make it more weaponize. real, re,
1: realistic. Weapon. <laughs> well, they do. They do, uh, but they they real they try to make it more real and more authentic and think that like it always fights against the source material.
0: Exactly, yeah. Which, which brings me to the Watchmen. I, again, this <laughs> the t- Watchman. The Watchmen. Oh, by Alan Moore.
1: That sounds like a different book entirely.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, like the. Uh, Alan Moore is a known. He he has sort of the extremist stance that I take. That oh yeah, these things should not be adapted to where he'll even turn down. Yeah, m- no, millions of dollars.
1: But like he's turned down millions of dollars. But like he he's also asked them to not have his name on the yeah
0: and on stuff. And if I could quote him, paraphrase his response uh, when they said why why don't you want there to be a film version of the Watchmen? And he simply said because the Watchmen isn't a film; it's a comic book. Mm-hmm. Period. And to me, exactly. That's exactly the point. And like you look at it, the, the, the idea of the Watchmen, it's kind of about these, um, superheroes coming out of retirement. Yeah. And, uh, they're, they're kind of faded, you know, like they put on the old costume and it's not quite the same as it used to be. They're Mm -hmm. a little overweight, you know, all (laughs) these kind of things. And, That just works so much better on the page because it's about comic book heroes. It's about those little panels with the uh, cheap colorization and the two-dimensionality of it, the flatness of it. And when you try to put that on a three-dimensional screen, you're you're like you're redimensionalizing the characters, and that's not right. You know, you're, you're making something 3D that should be 2D.
1: But there's also the issue of like going by three act structure, like the the issues and the, the individual issues from the Watchmen. I I haven't read it, but you have, and you could tell me if I'm wrong. But each issue has a beginning, middle, and end. Whereas like the film, you have to condense everything down to like have all different issues in beginning, middle, and end. And then you have that kind of like has a a weird structuring issue yeah. throughout the experience. Like you're getting like huge chunks of people's backstory that actually probably would have been. Uh, more elaborate more detailed more nuanced in uh the literature format than yeah. it's original intention
0: which is another issue is that if you adapted everything that was on the page into the film you would have a 18 hour film you know or, yeah and you can work around that with mini series television obviously done that, yeah. I, i'd say television is better suited to literary adaptation than it's film true. yeah
1: uh, <laughs> Did, did you hear you how do you feel about Lord of the Rings adaptation for Amazon Prime?
0: Like they're trying, they're that, gonna, it's coming. that
1: it's coming. That they're gonna do um,
0: a Lord of the Rings series. I, I well, I don't know. I mean I, I also think Lord of the Rings is very problematic in mm-hmm. Peter Jackson. I don't think those are good films. They're yeah. oh. they're fairly awe inspiring films. I mean he he did he did do a lot he came close to what your imagination can do. Yeah. He made you know that as far as just visually, I think those are those are pretty great. But, you know, like mm-hmm. they end up just being about fist fights and action scenes yeah. and you know, when you read Lord of the Rings, you don't think of this as like an action movie or an action suspense movie. Mm-hmm. But, and it's the same with superhero comics. For some reason, the the adaptations always end up being the beats are of action and suspense films. Yeah. And Liter- literarily speaking, Lord of the Rings is a bigger, vaster... It It's not just a f- bunch of fistfights or chase scenes. Yeah. But that's kind of what it turned out to be in the films. And that's maybe why... That's where it gets flattened. Even, yeah. Even though he... He does a great job at film
1: walking. He's great at filming walk- people walking and going on a journey. But at the end, that's kind of what it is. A lot of just people walking right. and going on journeys and fighting.
0: Yeah. And uh, another example is Inherent Vice by uh, by Thomas Paul, Pinchon or Pinchon. Paul, b- the book is by Thomas Pinchon or, yeah, Pinchon.
1: That's how <laughs> he always pronounced it. And I think it Seriously? Was, he
0: pronounced it French? You,
1: no, he pronounces it like Thomas Pinchon. Oh, Pinchon. And I'm like, it was great to hear like Mark in the WTF interview with Paul and and Mark... They were both pronouncing they both refused to give up on their own pronunciations of it. Oh, nice. So like they so like you hear Mark say pinchin' and Mark would say pinch on and I'm like That's cool. Whose pronunciation is it?
0: Hey, it's that's another issue of adaptation, really. <laughs> but uh No, but anyway, Paul Thomas Anderson, Ike
1: Great filmmaker.
0: Great filmmaker, and I remember I read the book, Inherent Vice, before the film was even optioned as far as i know
1: how was how was the book
0: it's a fantastic book okay i mean Pinchon's an amazing writer yeah uh it's actually one of his more short and breezy novels <laughs> but it's still incredibly packed his his novels are very dense with mm-hmm. with with asides images jokes metaphors i mean it's very yeah. dense and isn't it true that
1: gravity like one of his books have like a lexicon that you have to like
0: oh gravity's rainbow oh there there's probably a it's like ulysses by james joyce there's which also was filmed <laughs> oh <laughs> which oh. i don't i haven't seen but Josh, anyway yeah. uh, where you could have a guide to ulysses it's actually longer than ulysses almost you mm-hmm. know i mean that's how rich these books are yeah but anyway i i read that you know when paul thomas anderson was was making a adaptation of it that excited me even though i can't stand film, film adaptations. adaptations. I was like, That's "How can you
1: go wrong? You have yet, a, you have one of the best filmmakers working in our generation, uh, ad-
0: adapting a really cool book, and uh, and he said he he his first draft of his screenplay he he wrote everything that was in the book into the screenplay. It was
1: like a like a two two inches worth of books. Yeah, and he gave it to his sister, and he's like, "I'm not reading that." It, Take it back and cut that thing down. Is that what he did? He always gives it to his book. He always gives the first draft to his sister to read. Oh, I didn't know that. And his sister, his sister looked at that and it's like, nope.
0: Yeah, well, not doing that. Well, he knew he wasn't going to film it all, but he wanted to get it all on the page mm-hmm. so that he could work from there. And so this goes back to it would have been an eight hour film or mm-hmm. whatever. But anyway, so I was still excited. And, you know, he cut it down to two hours or whatever. I don't know how long it is. And, I have to say having read the book that it was a really empty experience watching the movie to me yeah. that was almost the problem was that it was too faithful of an adaptation mm. like uh oh. like, to me it was like a bunch of hip actors playing dress up because I already knew these characters that I already okay. had them in my head very fixed yeah. and and not only were they fixed in my head, they were fixed in their proper time period. So, like when Walking Phoenix strolls up, strolls in with mutton chops and a shirt that they bought at a vintage store, it doesn't work for me. You know, okay. no matter how good the filmmaking is, and I wish I could have seen the film and not read the book. I, again, very contaminated experience. Yeah. And I don't doubt that it's a great film. Everyone I've talked to who hasn't read the book that saw it loved it.
1: I know people that just don't like the, the who struggle with the film entirely, but I don't I don't think any of them ever read the book itself. Yeah,
0: I mean, I could see that too. It's a bit confusing, the plot's elaborate. The
1: plot is also
0: Shaggy Dog. Yeah, it's Pinchon it's, does that. Yeah. You know I mean? The
1: plot is also inconsequential a little bit.
0: Yeah. And that's So
1: <laughs> what I to what I from a film viewer of it, not a book reader of it, it seemed seem like it was like it, it could have been anything and it that but it wasn't really about anything.
0: <laughs> well it's like uh it's like a tempest in a teapot, where that pans out to reveal that all that is just inconsequential because there are greater, darker forces yeah. behind everything that make our little day-to-day who-done-it travails very <laughs> inconsequential.
1: Beware the golden fang! I'll
0: tell you that. <laughs> so, with with inherent vice as an example, I think the best thing you can do is do something different with it
1: like use the same world but do a different
0: yeah use the same world story. and even the same story but go ahead and take liberties change it up mm-hmm. you know do do something like what alex Garland did with annihilation
1: straight from memory yeah. straight
0: from memory reimagine it yeah you know rather than actualizing and literalizing what appears to be on the page just reimagine it mm-hmm. you know and i know people who read annihilation are already upset who love the book, mm-hmm. are already upset about it, but not all of them are. And yeah. Jeff Vandermeer himself, the author, is not upset about what Alex Garland oh, did. Oh, wow. And this brings us to kind of... That's,
1: that's very rare with authors. I'm
0: I know, I know. <laughs> but but then there's a film we kind of have to talk about on this topic, and that's the film called... Adaptation. Yes, by Spike Jones, written by... Charlie, Charlie Kaufman. Kaufman. One of uh,
1: my favorite films of all time, I don't know how you feel about that, like I, I love that
0: movie. You love adaptation? I love adaptation. I think it was a slight step down from Being John Malkovich, which I think is a crazy good amazing I, movie. I
1: I always like the idea. I always I always like the idea of watching Being John Malkovich, but I think there's something there's some humanistic uh, part of adaptation that is there and it seems like I like the 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 construct of Donald Kaufman his made up. Yeah twin brother oh yeah it, no it's, it's such a fun
0: it's it's really such a fun movie yeah it's great it's so and i do too. need to see it again but you know obviously charlie kaufman had some of my same uh reservations about the whole idea of doing a film adaptation of a book
1: how do you make how do you make flowers exciting
0: how do you make flowers <laughs> yeah. dramatic <laughs> yeah and so he went in a completely strange meta crazy direction and that's that's an example of how you can pull it off is do yeah. something different you do know different. expand the world make it a different imagination than yeah. than what the book gives you um but you you yeah. were talking about an- another example
1: another example of uh of, of uh i always think about when i think of adaptation authors uh who james james vandermeer i'm trying to uh, he was really proud of his probably liked Alex Garland's work on Annihilation. Someone that isn't and doesn't enjoy any of his doesn't seem to enjoy any of the adaptations is Stephen King. Stephen yeah. King, the prolific writer, yeah. uh, master of suspense in literature. Uh, it, it's bizarre how my, how many people love adapting his work and how often he thinks that they get it wrong. Like, uh, The Shining. A film by uh, in your words, a masterful filmmaker. I think okay. A generic. true
0: film titan. Uh, uh, Even Kubrick couldn't satisfy Stephen King.
1: He said he put a lot more stuff into it. He also just ruined a lot of the third act stuff that Stephen King thought was horrifying. So Stephen King uh, said, "You know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna adapt my own work. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna." So he took uh I, he took one of his short titles, Trucks. And he adapted it into a film known as Maximum Overdrive, where he also directed the film. And there's an author's note before the film that they say, Be, I was tired this is Stephen King looking at the camera saying, "I was tired of people ruining my work. I'm giving you straight from the source. This is like my intention entirely."
0: there's a little prologue there's a prologue like really
1: before yeah i have never seen it it's a prologue of him looking at the work looking at the camera saying this is (laughs) this is exactly how i I intended it it to be there's no mistake (laughs) this is what i want thank you hope you enjoy my film it is a piece of shit (laughs) it is a flaming piece of shit yeah so bad
0: yeah uh,
1: and that's and that you you came up with a great line when I well, when I was talking about this earlier like he's a better writer than he is a filmmaker
0: yeah that that's a perfect example of how imagination is more powerful than actualization yes like when a truck comes to life and starts chasing a little kid or something. If you think about that, that's terrifying. Yeah. But if you see it, it's kind of silly. <laughs> silly. It's kind of silly. It's kind of dorky. It's not a monster. It's a truck. It's
1: I, it's so it's so silly get, like they also they you could see like they someone gave them the know like okay it's a truck chasing them. how do we like villainize a truck so they uh, so they got like a green goblin mask like yeah. from Spider Man they just like put it on top of the truck it's like oh it's just oh it's terrifying it's yeah. silly. now it's scarier now it's scarier yeah
0: and yeah so again so Stephen King he, he's a he's a better writer than he is a filmmaker so of course the written version is going to be more powerful yeah. than the filmed version but then just to prove that there's no wrong or right way to do this going back to the godfather you've got Marlon Brando a better actor than whatever that character you know he he, he made that character far beyond what the page could ever do true you know Mario Puzo the author of the godfather mm. Yeah, Marlon Brando is a better actor than Marlon Puzo as a writer of characters. Yeah, you know, and so he was able to put so many more dimensions, so much more nuance, as you said, so much more weight, <laughs> so much, so much more pounds, <laughs> so many more pounds, and so <laughs> so much more cotton in the cheeks, so many more, so many more
1: lemons, so many more oranges. Is it oranges or lemons?
0: I think it's a lemon.
1: Uh, I don't know
0: actually. That's a good, huh. good question. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Live from the Video Tech, the Facets podcast. Since 1975, Facets has connected people to independent ideas through film. It's our goal to make sure film continues to have the power to remind us what it's like to be human. All of our programs expand on this simple, empathy-driven idea in many unique and pioneering ways. Learn more at facets.org. And you can come visit us in person at 1517 West Fullerton Avenue, Chicago, Illinois.